Woi woi, woi woi, woi woi. Then it then go on the radio again. Yo, if you wanna smoke free weed, go board yourself. You need to go plant a seed. Go board yourself, make your knowledge increase. Go board yourself, go board yourself. Hey, all right. Welcome to episode number 92 of Grow Bud Yourself. We got a great show for you guys in store. Uh, first, we're going to shoot the breeze about some uh, some recent news. Uh, the guest is an old friend of mine, Oliver Summers from Superior Herbal Health. He is an L.A. legacy cannabis dispensary operator and advocate since 2005. We've got the grow segment, uh, finally dealing with the dreaded spider mites. We're going to talk about that, answer some grow questions, uh, and more. So stick around. Episode 92 of Grow Bud Yourself is brought to you by Excelsior Extracts, Sweet Leaf Plant Nutrients, and Rocket Seeds. Hey guys, I want to tell you about one of our favorite sponsors, Excelsior Extracts. Outcast and TOH from Excelsior are incredible people, incredible growers, and they make an amazing product. Their THC-infused pain rub is made by patients for patients, and it provides powerful relief from pain. This product was developed to treat Outcast's chronic pain, and trust me, this is a super potent topical that really works. You can find out more about Excelsior on Instagram at Excelsior Extracts. That's E-X-C-E-L-S-I-O-R-E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S. DM them there to learn more about their amazing pain rub. And don't forget to tell them that Grow Bud Yourself sent you. Hey, all right, welcome back, and it is episode number 92 uh, right here for you, and uh, we hope you guys will enjoy this one. Uh, We got a great guest for you guys, but first, uh, we are going to chat about uh, a few things. So, Mike, how's things in your world? Things in my world? They're they're good. Things in my world are good. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Excellent. I got engaged. I don't know. Is that something I should mention on the show? I didn't know if uh, it was if I if I could mention it or not, but you got engaged. Yeah. Congratulations! Yeah, yeah. Somebody actually yes. a- agreed to marry me, which is kind of a surprise. So nice, <laughs> not nice. to somebody. Yeah, no, know, my, my somebody fiance. special. Yeah, yeah, your fiance. <laughs> you get to say that now. Yeah, pretty exciting. Very happy for you oh, both. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. And I'm sure the folks are all uh, quite ecstatic as well. Yes, yes. Everyone is is shocked and delighted. <laughs> on my side, on her side, they're like, "What? You did what?" <laughs> <laughs> but enough about me. Uh, we have a really exciting episode here, and I can't believe we're ninety two episodes deep into this show. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it's been it's been a fun ride. It has, know? and I yeah. hope uh, hope people are learning how to grow and uh, maybe a little bit about themselves as well. You know about. <laughs> We've almost like, done as many uh, grow bud yourselves as free weeds, but in like a third of the time or something. So. <laughs> yeah, that was 2011 to 2018. I think we did a hundred and something episodes. And then here in two years, we've done 92. So, hey, that's what happens when, uh, you know, you, you, you put your heart and soul into something and uh, you do an independent show for the people. And you break free of your overlords. Exactly. Exactly. But enough about all that. Uh, Why don't we talk about a little news? There's a few things that we should get to. Some good stories this week. Yeah, let's do it. 
All right, so uh, let's start off with some rare good news from the DEA. Uh, the Drug Enforcement Administration has essentially legalized cannabis seeds. So this new policy, it came about through a case brought by attorney Shane Pennington, and he challenged the prohibition of pot seeds based on the 2018 Farm Bill. So for those who don't know, the 2018 Farm Bill legalized hemp plants as long as they don't contain more than 0.3% THC. So cannabis plants with less than 0.3% THC, they're considered hemp plants, and therefore they're not scheduled under the Controlled Substances Act. So, if percentages of THC are being used to decide which plants are legal and which plants are illegal, should that same rule be applied to cannabis seeds and tissue cultures and other genetic material? According to the DEA, the answer is somewhat shockingly yes. Now this means that all seeds and I guess tissue cultures containing no more than 0.3% THC are legal and outside the control of the CSA, and importantly that's regardless of the THC content that the plants eventually produce. So theoretically the seeds could be grown out to produce high THC cannabis, but as long as they contain 0.3% THC or less, they're legal. Now this this seems like big news, and certainly it seems like a big win for seed producers and seed sellers, but I ask you, Danny Danko, should we be celebrating this? Like, for those of us who know very little about seeds, can you grow high THC pot from seeds that contain virtually no THC to start with? Absolutely. And yes, we should be celebrating. This is incredible. Uh, it basically deems seeds to be legal, all cannabis seeds. Uh, no matter what type of plants they produce. Uh, so it is a, a landmark uh, d decision, I guess, or, or, or uh, statement by the DEA. Uh, I mean, here's the thing to, to remember. The minute you plant those seeds and they start growing a plant, that plant is illegal <laughs> if it's a high THC plant. So, well, depending, of course, on if you live in a state um, that allows... Uh, you to grow a certain amount of plants. So, you know, here in, in New York, um, if you have a medical card right now, you can grow your six plants or 12 per household. Um, and th that those are perfectly legal, but uh, the seeds are legal in completely. So uh, it's pretty amazing. I think it's great news. I think that especially, you know, seed, it's great news for seed companies because uh, they've been getting, you know, a certain amount of their product confiscated or irradiated or all of the bad things that can happen um, when you're dealing with the gray area of, of uh, seed distribution and sales and, and, and production. And now uh, I think this really frees up that marketplace to, to, be, uh, to thrive and to ship seeds all over uh, the country and all, maybe perhaps all over the world um, legally. And then it's up to the uh, person who receives those seeds. Um, you know, I guess it's a novelty item until you you plant it and the seed opens up and then then you have to necessarily worry about what your local laws say uh about those plants but um, the fact that the seeds have been deemed legal is huge uh, and i think it's gonna uh, have a pretty big impact on the marketplace as these companies uh realize that they 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 can now you know act accordingly as though their product is 100 percent legal and uh you know, I think this will affect packaging. I think it'll affect the shipping of seeds. I think, uh, you know, as you mentioned, too, it's not just the seeds. It's any kind of genetic material. So uh, clones uh, that could test, you know, at a very low THC level, 
because they're just clones. You know, they're so young, they haven't had been able to develop any kind of THC at all. Uh, and uh, tissue culture uh, clones as well, which can be very tiny, um, almost the size of a seed, uh, slightly larger, and, and yet, uh, you know, contain the genetic material for uh, many, many plants uh, in the future. So I think it's great news. I think it's uh, exciting. I'm surprised by it, to be honest, but uh, we'll take it, man. It's great news. It is. It is rather shocking. First, that the the DEA uh, agreed to this, but also it's sort of like this really cool genetic loophole that cannabis has provided for us. Cannabis plants with less than 0.3% THC are, are legal. They're hemp, so the seeds should be as well. Pretty cool. Absolutely. Awesome. All right, so uh, let's go to another uh, good story for us here. Flipping over to New Jersey, last week our listeners might remember that we reported that the uh, Cannabis Regulatory Commission, the regulators of the industry in New Jersey, denied alternative treatment centers licenses to sell recreational cannabis. And the reasons that they uh, they explained just a week ago were that they needed these. Uh, these are basically um, medical dispensaries that applied to be a hybrid uh, shop, so they would sell both medical and recreational cannabis, therefore getting the uh, adult use sales going early in New Jersey. So they were denied their licenses because the Cannabis Regulatory Commission needed to make sure they were able to provide the cannabis that they needed to give to medical patients in New Jersey. So the, the commission said that these shops were around 100,000 pounds short on supply. And at the time, we noted that Governor Phil Murphy sort of said, yeah, um, this isn't a big deal. I expect we're going to start sales in a couple of weeks. But we were reading these reports saying, well, how is that possible? The licenses were, were denied. It's going to take at least a year for the other uh, license approvals to start selling legal weed. And lo and behold, a week later, Seven licenses were approved by the CRC, and these alternative treatment centers are going to be allowed to start selling recreational cannabis, and it could start in as little as, as two weeks. So New Jersey is right on the verge of beginning adult use sales. Yeah, yeah, which is good news, but uh, the fact that it's only seven places is kind of, uh, you know, not ideal, obviously. I mean, those places get a head start. Uh, and they're all uh, pretty big MSOs, um, which is fine, you know, but at the same time, I, I really wish that uh, there were more licenses and that the regulations included uh, smaller operators uh, so that they could compete with the bigger ones, because I do think they can compete. And I think uh, we need to help to create a level playing field for them. And I think that one of the places they can compete is, the you know, craft quality flower. Uh, which is tougher to produce by some of these bigger companies and bigger facilities. So I would urge some of the, uh, you know, some of the smaller producers to focus on quality over quantity, because I don't think you're going to win on quantity with uh, some of these companies. Uh, and I do think that uh, the door is open now. It's good. Uh, it's a shame that the door is only open for, for seven of the large companies, but at least it's open now. And, uh, and uh, people will hopefully go through that door and fill that space uh, with all the different products uh, that we want to ha see available. Uh, craft flour, clean concentrates, uh, edibles that have been tested in laboratories, and a safe, you know, effective cannabis product. 
Yeah, we should be clear. Uh, Dan is correct. It is starting with just seven um, MSOs. That's uh, multi-state operators, for those who don't know. And those are the big like conglomerate cannabis uh, dispensary companies. And it is only the seven to start with. But the commission has approved, I believe it's 68 uh, licenses for smaller cultivators and manufacturers. And uh, they're sort of going through the process of getting those shops going. So the idea is that in about a year from now, um, a bunch of those newly awarded licensed uh, businesses will be able to start selling pot. But for the time being, residents or, uh, or citizens in New Jersey can at least purchase legal pot from uh, these seven companies. So imperfect, but, but it is a start. A big step in the right direction for sure. And I mean, just being able to go into a store and purchase cannabis flowers without having to have a medical card or a doctor's recommendation is huge. Uh, but uh, I hope we can expand on this greatly. And I hope that some of the smaller uh, craft operators and local operators can benefit as well uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah, I guess it is a, a bit of a, a disadvantage to give these seven businesses a year's head start. But anyway, um, at least there's sales in New Jersey, something New York is not even close to claiming at the moment. But let's do one more story. And, um, you know, we've been talking about the various marijuana initiatives in Congress, including the Moore Act, which would deschedule cannabis uh, completely. And that passed the House recently. We've also been discussing the Safe Bank uh, Banking Act, which would allow cannabis companies to legally work with banks. So thanks to the House, the SAFE Act has also been added to America Competes, the America Competes Act. And now that act has nothing to do with pot, really. It's a bill that encourages uh, innovation in America and infrastructure and things like that. But cannabis banking has been added to the America Competes Act, and now Congress is debating that. Now, of course, marijuana banking in some form or another has already passed the House six separate times. So clearly the Senate is the problem here. And while most of the senators who were chosen to work on the America Competes Act favor cannabis banking, we still don't know if the SAFE Act is going to pass in the Senate or even if it's going to get a vote. And Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, he still wants to advance federal legalization before ever dealing with cannabis banking. And now I would say to him it would help if he would ever introduce his goddamn legislation, but that's a different issue. But the point is that banking is important um, for a number of reasons, especially in the wake of several violent robberies that have occurred at dispensaries in Washington state that have left as many as three people dead. So people are dying because they can't work with banks to keep their money. So there's, there's violence that's part of this equation. And on top of that, uh, it's important to understand the scale of what we're talking about. We're not talking about mom and pop shops anymore. According to MJ Biz, Legal pot sales are expected to top $33 billion by the end of 2022 in this country. And that's up from $25 billion last year. And by 2026, MJ Biz estimates that annual cannabis sales will exceed $52 billion. So this is, this is a, a, a gigantic industry. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of mattresses to fill with... Uh... <laughs> with cash <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then protect with you know with mercenaries or whatever you you know i guess it's a lot of uh art to launder <laughs> i mean let's just free us up you know canada has federal legalization and freedom and uh we should too uh it'll help us to compete 
uh, it'll help us with interstate uh, commerce and it'll help us to compete internationally which is going to be huge as well so really uh, we need to just w figure out however we need to whether it's banking uh, safe act more whatever it is let's get them all passed and then uh, and clean up the pieces afterwards uh, let's get everybody out of jail and uh, let's get some of these social equity programs working and rolling and uh and move forward i mean there's just no we don't have any more time to waste with this uh and i think uh federally legalized cannabis is a great platform on which to run in 2022 and 2024 uh and we're just wasting time uh we're wasting energy and we're losing momentum and that's uh that's it's important to keep that you know you can see how the, there was momentum in the 60s and 70s to make changes and then they lost that momentum in the 80s and 90s and it's only in the last 10 or 15 years that we've gained it back we have the wind at our backs and uh if we don't take advantage uh it's on us and it's on the politicians but it's on us too because uh if we call them and we take them to task and we make sure they know they don't get our vote unless they pass this legislation uh, and that we are cannabis voters uh, and uh, we vote and we care and we're going to keep their feet to the fire. To me, that's uh, that's our role and we got to keep it going. And I think this upcoming 420 and, you know, May, the parade here that's happening in New York and a lot of the things that are going to be going on. Uh, it's important to just to keep pushing our agenda, make sure people know that uh, if we're talking about a 30 to 50 billion dollar industry, uh, we want respect, <laughs> as Fredo would say, you know, uh, <laughs> we want respect. We want to be treated like uh, U.S. steel, big oil, you know, I'm smart or anybody else. <laughs> it's not like they say dumb. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, I'm so tired of hearing about Schumer's federal legalization bill just introduce it or don't but you're just in the way just get out of the way yeah well yeah well they, they still got time so uh let's remain positive and and hope for the best and and prepare for <laughs> the reality which may not be that absolutely but the reality of this show is that we have a really exciting interview coming up Yes, and it's been a long time coming. This is someone who I've known since long before I, I ever got involved uh, with legal cannabis or high times or, or head case or anything else. Uh, we both uh, were in college in Boston in the early 90s and uh, uh, bonded over bong hits and, and joints of cannabis and, and Simpsons and, and a number of other activities that we uh, enjoyed. And he's my old friend, Oliver Summers. He has been running just, uh, pot shops, pioneering uh, consumption lounges in LA since the early 2000s. Uh, he's a consultant for people that are uh, interested in getting into cannabis. And he's an old pal, a really great friend. Uh, so without further ado, why don't we take a break and come back with my old buddy, Oliver Summers. If you're a grower or you're thinking about starting your first crop, then you need to know about Sweet Leaf Plant Nutrients. Sweet Leaf has an incredible line of organic fertilizers and, of course, their legacy line that includes organic and some synthetic fertilizers. Check them out at sweetleaf.com. That's S U I T E 
S-W-E-E-T-L-E-A-F.com. The code DANKO15 gets you 15% off everything at Sweetleaf. That's 15% off their signature line of nutrients as well as essentials like complete indoor hydroponic grow tent kits and grow lights, plus awesome apparel, backpacks, and much more. If you join our Patreon, you'll get access to additional codes worth 20 and even 25% off. Patreon supporters also receive free Sweetleaf nutrients just for signing up. Sweetleaf provides all the tools necessary for the modern gardener. Check them out at Sweetleaf.com and remember the code DANKO15. All right, welcome back, and uh, we have a special guest for you guys this week. Uh, he is an old friend of mine from way back long, long before the high times days, uh, back in the amateur pot dealer days. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, we spent, uh, we spent our college years together uh, doing bong hits and watching The Simpsons and Seinfeld. Uh, not, not reruns. <laughs> no, <laughs> when, when, they, when they happened. Uh, it is my old pal, uh, Los Angeles medical cannabis advocate and uh, dispensary operator since 2005, Oliver Summers. Oliver, welcome to the show. Thank you, my friend. It's good to see you always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like I said, we've known each other for, for, for many years. Uh, we kind of came up, uh, you know, smoking in college and all of that. And then, uh, you know, I went to New York and, and you went to L.A. Uh, take me back to that time and, and uh, basically, you know, showing up in L.A. and, and, and how you got involved in... Uh, cannabis advocacy i mean you've rent run dispensaries you've had uh consumption lounges uh take me yeah. back to before all that and, yeah <laughs> how you got involved because it started with uh asa right americans for safe access it, it absolutely it started well basically uh, i got involved with the cannabis scene in la right when the dispensary started because the idea that you could go to a location and it was on deck at all times and you could just pick up weed i mean granted the medical marijuana cards at the time were like $350 and only a handful of us had it. And then, you know, a dispensary would open up one week and it would literally be gone two weeks later in West Hollywood. And uh, I befriended some uh, dispensary operators early on and they got raided by the DEA and uh, were taken to jail. And I was just infuriated by that. And it what's brought me to my first Americans for Safe Access meeting. So that was where the advocacy began, just by almost, I, I like to always say, out of a basic selfish nature was, hey, they raided my favorite dispensary and my friends got arrested. I'm mad. But it eventually morphed into so much more being really involved with the patients and becoming heavily uh, an advocate for the dispensaries and for patient rights. And it just, it, it consumed my entire life. And so when it goes back to what we were referring to in the beginning, obviously you and I met in 91 and uh, there was um, a few times where let's just say we were bagging up eighths in my living room a few times. And uh, so we're, we were not exactly strangers to cannabis and the, the entire scene, obviously. Um, the very first plant I ever grew was the one I grew with you in my living room where we didn't even realize we just left the light on it 24 hours a day and it was just a regular bulb and <laughs> it grew to this like three and a half foot long stringy thing where we were like, well, I guess we're not getting anything from it. <laughs> and uh, 
So cannabis has always been in the background for for us, you know, even when I was trying to be, you know, the filmmaker when you knew me back then. And uh, when I would move on to sets, I always had the herb and people would be like, you know, there was always inevitably like, hey, man, dude, can I can I get some of that and this, that? So you would morph into hooking people up. And so a person that I was buying somewhat weight from up north was a disciple of Richard Lee out of uh, Oakland in SR-71, one of the original pioneers of Prop 215. And he'd been working at this dispensary for about a year and a half. And he was like, I want to open my own at this point in time. I have the money to do it. And I want to do it in L.A. And I was like, well, West Hollywood is the only spot. And he's like, well, we're going to do it in L.A. and we're going to pushed to the next level. And so, you know, was like, hey, no one's going to call you at 10 o'clock at night looking for a sack of weed. No one, you know, you go to work, you come home. That's your day. You know, it's fantastic. And we really wanted to emulate the the Amsterdam, of course, feel of the, the early 90s with that sort of smoking lounge, have a cup of tea while you're there. And the first shop we had in 06 was an on-site consumption lounge. And we um, we were raided uh, by the DEA. We were robbed. We were burglarized. Um, it, everything you could possibly think could happen happened to us. And it was still the best year of my life because it was just great. I mean, we had to make rules for everybody to not come in on their days off because you just wanted to be there all the time, hanging with all these people, smoking weed, and just this great environment. It was, you know, there was no TVs or any of that stuff around. It was just you. And I saw the most eclectic group of people, like literally, literal crips, Long Beach Crips sitting with a suburban white blonde woman sharing a joint as if it was just... And one of the greatest things I'd ever seen was um, the final Harry Potter book had just come out. And I looked over, we had this little couch area, and there were these like five 19-year-old kids who had obviously grown up reading Harry Potter, and they were sitting there on the couch, smoking a joint, reading. I mean, when are you going to see that in today's world? I mean, it, this was pre-iPhone and all that. So they were literally just sitting there, passing joints around, reading a book in my shop. And I thought that was just the greatest thing. And I've been searching for that high ever since, <laughs> you know, just chasing it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the amazing thing that as uh, these laws keep changing, we're, we're still f way far behind on the... Uh, on the consumption lounges, I mean, there's here, they're scattered around here and there, and uh, but they, but they're always, almost all of them that I know of are all looking over their shoulder, Absolutely. and in fear of being shut down or what, raided. What about the ones that are doing like an edible-based ones where they have these restaurants, and it's like some of these people can't handle more than ten to fifteen milligrams, and next thing you know, they're sitting there at the table, dead to sleep, knocked out, right. and you're like, "How am I going to turn this table over when I've got this guy sleeping over here?" It's 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 just a, a the wrong model at this particular time. But like I always say to people, whenever people ask me about this. You and I have the same perspective. From where we started and where we are now, we've come so extremely far. And we've moved at such a rapid pace that consumption lounges, they'll, they'll get there. We just having to go through these phases. And like I said, from you and I, I mean, the thought of 
being where we are at now with such legal consumption being around and states that you never thought in a million years would open are opening up their laws. I mean, it's just mind blowing. I mean, I thought the Rockefeller laws are the most perfectly written laws that ever were. It's, it's the saddest thing in the world, but the most perfect law it's used in law schools. It's the most perfectly written law. And it's the one that we thought was going to take forever to dismantle. And instead, look at where we're at now. We've, we've dismantled those Rockefeller laws. It's crazy to me. I think it's amazing. So, yeah. And even, you know, the fact that people can also grow their own in some of these states ah. uh, is also really great because uh, in some in other states, you can't uh, even with, you know, medical and in some cases, wreck. Uh, like in the case of Washington, I believe. Um, so along the way, I think your growing skills increased as well. Yes. Um, and as a buyer, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure, I'm assuming you did a lot of the buying for some of a these uh, shops. Sure. Um, 16 years of running dispensaries consistently. I mean, I haven't taken a year off the entire time. So yeah, you wind up doing, at one point, I mean, I was everything, the accountant, the lawyer, the buyer, the bud tender, the front desk, you name it. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen a lot of OG fish too, I would imagine, in uh, LA. Still, still my favorite, and I have to say. As I say, even though I'm a New Yorker at heart, I'm a Southern California boy in my sense of I love only to smoke my OG cushions. <laughs> right, right. Well, as things are changing now, like as you mentioned, things are changing and um, we're now involved in a situation where people need to start pr protecting intellectual property uh, from some of these corporations that are coming in and trying to basically get that into IP from people uh, and then push them away uh, once they've got what they need. Uh, tell me a little bit about how how people or growers can protect IP uh, and, and what they have. I mean, their techniques, their strains and things like that. Well, th this is a particularly um, hardcore part for me because uh, about four, oh, it's been about five years now, uh, I was hired by one of those corporate publicly traded cannabis companies. And I was involved with the MSO and all of that stuff. I am not anymore, thank goodness. Uh, but it was a adventurous ride to say the least. And um, I am lucky enough in my time doing all of these things to have spent a lot of time with uh, growers and geneticists. And genetics are just, when it comes down to everything, you wipe away all the business and all of that said and done, genetics are what it all comes down to. And it's the most fun part of our business. I love seeing the different effects that people have from different strains still to this day. Uh, I, I love just sitting in a room with four people smoking a joint with somebody with them and then asking each one how they feel and seeing the different variety of responses. It's, it's just the greatest thing in the world to me. It gets me excited still to this day. So I am lucky enough to have called some of the greatest geneticists in the business, my friends, uh, like Mojave Richmond and Robert Clark. And I've been working with them for many years. And Mojave has a proprietary genetic called the Sage, which we all are familiar with. And it's, to me, one of the best uh, flowers out there. And for eight years on my dispensary on Melrose, it was my biggest selling genetic, beating out all the OGs, which, as we just discussed, for Southern California, that's absolutely unheard of to have a strain beat the OGs on the market. But Sage, every time, did. 
So when I got into the corporate situation, I was trying very much to set up a situation where I had a grow with the proprietary control of the genetic of his sage and that we would only sell it out of my dispensary. Think of the model like the Jungle Boys. And again, this is something that we've all known for years. If whoever's got the greatest one, people will travel distances for that flower. So I figured if I have this proprietary sage genetic, I put a little PR behind it. You get a kid in Iowa sitting there looking at the strain going, my God, I have to go to the clinic out in LA just so that I could try this genetic. And it becomes a destination. And I believe that's a huge part of the future of our business. That being said, how do we now protect the sage from uh, getting out there? being proprietary to the shop and making sure that Mojave has control of this, the, the genetic being the creator. I mean, that's one of the biggest parts. And that is why right now we're looking at what, there's about 5% of all the genetics are actually on the legal market right now. And the 95% are still on the traditional market because people don't want to give out their genetics without having some kind of control or at least getting paid. It's been in my family for five generations. What do you mean I'm not gonna get paid for this strain? You know, it's like, so on that side, we wanted to protect the growers, but on the business end with the corporate guys, you had to ask them like, how do we achieve this? And for them, they were worried about A, it getting out in the market and then they would have something that was worth nothing. And then B, they'd have no basic of value to place on the strain. So they would literally say to me like, we don't have any monetary control over this genetic because we don't know how much it's actually worth. We've never seen how much money it's actually pulled in. And I was like, well, for eight years, it was my biggest selling strain. I made a fortune off it just because I sold it like crazy. As soon as I put up a, a thing on weed maps that it was in, boom, you know, lying out the door of people picking it up. So there's my basis, but there's no paperwork back then that says like, mm -hmm. hey, the sage made this much money. So I was, I was really trying to be this middleman between the corporate and the, the genetic growers to make sure that they can still get paid and that the corporate understands the value of what they have. And unfortunately, I am still fighting this war with so many different battles because everybody's worried. They feel like if somebody just grabs a cut of something, shoves it down their pants, leaves at the end of the day, then that's it. And I try to tell people that part of the intellectual property is the cultivator mixed in with the genetic itself. The story of Sage is the story of Mojave and, and Robert Clark. They're intertwined with it. Even if the Sage gets out, it won't have that same, for lack of a better term, gravitas as a knockoff version. And it's part of why we have 40 million Girl Scout cookies and sherbets and ice cream cakes at this point in time, because it's just out there so much that there's no control. And quite frankly, I find a lot of those just very boring too. They don't have a lot of the oomph behind it. So once we get this hybrid mix of being able to have somebody go, you know what, I'm gonna give a million dollars to this grower for his genetic and we're gonna build an entire security program around it. And then eventually the IP is gonna catch up because that's the biggest question is, Danny, how do, you, how do you genetically protect 
you're strained. How, how, how does it so that it's, you have to do it on the literal DNA level of going down to the basics of it all. And it, we're just not there yet. And it's, I mean, I'm very hopeful for the future with obviously all this new opening up of research that we're allowed to do. It's going to change the game dramatically on that front. But this is a huge factor. And until we can get out of this hump, the retail market is literally being 7-Elevens of boring, not necessarily boring, but you know, not, again, 95% of the strains on my shelf, I'm like, kind of like, oh, hey, great. You know what I mean? Like, it looks great, but whatever, you know? Oh, 41% GMO, yay, you know? Unfortunately, that it's so high in mercy and it doesn't get me high, you know? It almost has a sobering effect. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's like, great, I'll smoke this. Literally, the sage tested at like 23%, and everybody who smokes it is like standing there lit, and they're like, what the? And you're like, yeah, 23% THC, right? You know. But it's got the right terps and, and everything else to, to make it feel, you know. I've never seen a feel. more universal strain than the sage when it comes to that. Uh, literally, I mean, you, you need it to sleep. It's going to put you to sleep. You want to write. It's going to make you write all night. It's, it's amazing. That, that, and again... It's going to change the game when it comes out. These genetics are the the the, the future of our business. Because again, it's like I got everybody coming in right now. We're, we're in the THC number period of our of our business. It's, it's not my favorite, but whatever. <laughs> you know, everybody comes in. What's the highest? What's the highest? You know, but really, not doesn't mean it's the best. I mean, that's that's the big thing these days is people are coming to that realization, and the, the marketplace is getting smarter. But uh, still, you know, people want that bang for their buck. Having been a grower and a buyer all these years, assuming let's say that the the grower you're you're talking to has great genetics, what's your advice to growers uh, for how how to create a product that you as a buyer would be happy to purchase? at the given price, you know, like what, what are the factors that are most important to you? I mean, obviously the, well, you know, the old school thing where a guy would come into your into your shop and he'd have the big duffel bag with 15 different pounds. On vendor day, right? That was really <laughs> great. You know, you sit there, you open up your turkey bag and you're passing around your sniff. It was a little bit of a different training on how we became buyers. Because now what we get is shown these little eighth jars that have been opened 15 different times throughout the day. And there's leftover, no nose. The, the flour is almost kind of powdery, if you will. So it's like the, the, the obvious is so clear you'll like literally can just see these things now and be like okay all right you know you know and there's a little bit of name purchasing still you have to do regardless you have to keep certain brand names on your shelf but when it comes down to as a as a buyer now because the product has gone through the grower to the packaging distribution to the lab and then finally to me it's been three weeks since it's been harvested and it's already kind of lost a little bit of its oomph. So you just kind of have to play it by ear a little bit. And price point, unfortunately, is just a huge factor. It's way more than it ever used to be. So because, you know, at one point we were laughing because I was looking at our shelf and we had 
the exact same flour that had been white labeled in four different jars at four different price points. So, you know, you're literally like, okay, it's, I, have, I have four jars, same flour, different brands, different costs. What's up with that? <laughs> you know? that yeah, that, I mean, that's the product of white labeling, right? And uh, now, you tell me about Summers International Cannabis Consultants. You've been uh, consulting for people that are interested in, in starting a dispensary or, or maybe even a, a consumption lounge. Uh, tell me about... Uh, your consulting and, and, and you know, give me a, a, an idea of sort of what, what you advise to people that are interested in getting in the biz. Well, the consulting was, was actually funny because it wasn't that I went out to become a consultant. It was people all of a sudden in 2016 and 18 were coming out of nowhere going, I want to get into cannabis. What do I do? What do I do? And I was always just giving it away for free because I'm a chatty guy. But finally, uh, one of my uh, wealthier dudes took me aside and kind of smacked me upside the head. And that's where we created the... <laughs> and because I'd gotten to go out to like Spain and check out the dispensaries in Madrid and Barcelona back in 2016... Um, and consult for them. That's where we came up with the international part. But, uh, <laughs> but basically what, I, what I've done with, with Summers International is, is it's not just me. I have a team of people who are all hardcore OGs in the business, including Mojave as a cultivator. And then I've got um, Josh Lechner, who's probably one of the best distribution heads in the business. Like when I met him, I realized I had met my my better half in the business, if you will, and he's been my partner ever since. So depending on what companies need, I have an individual person that is in my team that helps them out. So we, we've got everything covered from cultivation, distribution, marketing, retail, you name it. I've got somebody who's been in the business and succeeded uh, throughout all of them. So that that's what we were trying to do with it. And it, we, we were really more also... We're not just out for whatever, you know, we really like to be involved and make sure that, you know, we're, you like you, Danny, we're, I hated this word for so many years. And then about four or five years ago, I was like, you know what, I'm going to embrace it with a whole, both arms. We're stoners, bro. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, I smoke an eighth a day still minimum. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's like if I go to bed at night reading about weed. I wake up in the morning. First thing I start reading about weed. It's everything. It's everything to us. And so with the consultants company, we like to bring that passion. And we start, we really began to realize the people who are in it for the quick one or the people who are in it for the long run. So that was really yeah. a big one for us. Yeah. Longevity is so important. But what about... Uh you know, avoiding necessarily like bringing in partners for s certain services and um, how, how can how can people manage more of those services in-house uh, to avoid that kind of thing? I mean, I'm a, I, I tell everybody to deal with everything in-house and to not use any of these third party people at all if they can avoid it. Uh, if you feel that you are stuck in a position, then you would go and you would hire a consultant like myself who just literally is going to come in, put you back on the right track and then walk away. So many of the problems that I deal with in this business are from people who are having issues with their partners 
and somebody who they got into business with that they shouldn't have. Um, I, one of my best friends in the world is in year seven of a lawsuit with his former partner about their retail and they've let him dry. I mean, he has no money for lawyers anymore because it's just craziness. Uh, I was with another owner, uh, Claudette Selvin, who was one of the first African-American women ever to own a dispensary. And she's fighting daily against her partners who are just trying to take over the whole business. So when it comes down to it, I know there's points where you're gonna look and you're gonna be like, I got no money. I need to move forward somehow, do something. It happens to everybody inevitably, especially in this business. You either have to just really keep pressing on and do what you can, try and keep it more as personal loans as opposed to business loans so you can keep things separate because once you take down that partner, you add in a second voice. And once you add in that second voice, especially if it's a non-cannabis related voice, oh my goodness, you don't have no idea the amount of, of stress. I, I've had six corporate CEOs that I've worked with, six. Every single one of them told me I didn't know what I was doing. And every single one of them are gone. Every <laughs> single one are gone. They all got a nice, you know, six, seven figure umbrella, but you know. <laughs> yeah, but they're not in the industry. And but they're, they're not in the industry anymore. And it's like I try, so you just have to, if you're going to go that front, you really have to vet who you're dealing with and know who you're getting in bed with because you're now getting into a relationship with somebody and it's not as easy as just getting a divorce. It is, mm -hmm. you're intertwined. So if you can do it all in house, just, just even if it, for growing purposes, I try to tell people it sucks losing a crop. We all have been there. Nobody likes it. But if that one loss of crop will mean that you can make your next crop twice as good as it was, then you got to go, you got to double down on yourself. You know, too, too many people, they fail right out of the garden with, with these, with their first crop. And they're like, oh, well, that was it. La, la, la. You know, <laughs> they're so-called quote unquote master cultivators and all of that come in. And another one of my pet peeves. Uh, where <laughs> phrases, you know, yeah, ma yeah. master cultivators. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. None of us are masters yet. I don't think it's it's uh, it's a I long way. Yeah. It's a long way to being a master. You know that's for sure. Uh, I, I'm hoping to learn with every with every grow. You know, always. And now, having fought in the trenches now for a couple of decades, <laughs> uh, you know, your activism in the, out in LA started in '03, I believe. So you're coming up on uh, two decades of uh, fighting the good fight out there, and uh, you know, taking losing some battles as well. You know, quite uh, a few, quite, quite a few. few. Yeah. yeah. Now, what what kind of advice would you have? Because things are changing very rapidly back here uh, for us, and uh, you know, you know, New York uh, is wreck. What, there's no stores open. There's no uh, framework yet in place right. in New Jersey, the same thing, Connecticut as well. So what kind of advice do you have for us out here for, from what you've been through out there, just as far as, uh, compliance, retail, uh, you know, lounges, 
maintaining your sanity <laughs> when everything's <laughs> going crazy all around you? <laughs> well, I'm uh, I'm the head of compliance for for two different companies, uh, for Superior Herbal Health and for uh, Unified Patient Alliance. So I'm heavily into the compliance thing. It's uh, it's uh, my bread and butter, if you will. So for us. There were so many days where, you know, you see these photos of activists protesting and, you know, at city councils that are packed. But unfortunately, 80% of the, the city council meetings were just like five of us sitting in there waiting to speak. And we always made the joke that we were like James Bond because had the rest of the people known how we stopped this ban or that ban, they would have been blown away by, <laughs> by what they, they didn't know. <laughs> the power of the small group, right? The power of the small group. And that brings me to what I, so what we had was a true activist group that was working together through Americans for Safe Access and the Greater Los Angeles Collectives Alliance. And we were able to really move the needle with a lot of little things just because it was just us. Now, unfortunately, you're inundated with 40,000 lobbyists, 40,000 lawyers, different companies. And while we all have the same goal, our way of getting to that final point seems to be more independent than it used to be. And people have a more selfish outlook. Uh, being one of the things, of course, seeing how many companies are against home grows, which still blows my mind. I don't understand what anybody's afraid of. I mean, it's like, you know, even if I, when I'm growing in my house and I'll call out a couple of pounds, I, I can't just smoke my one thing and that's it. I need to go out and get <laughs> other yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's pretty hard to compete with, uh, <laughs> the, the, you know, dispensaries and, and the underground. I mean, it's, it's really just a labor of love for the most part for, for people who do it. Absolutely. Uh, it's the yeah. greatest hobby, too. It's so much fun. Who doesn't love just sitting and watching your plant grow? I mean, you know, literally you stand there and you're looking at the plants. People are like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm looking at my plants. <laughs> you know, you're, you're literally watching the plants grow. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so back to advice for, for uh, other places, not just East, you know, I mean, now it's, we're working, working our way South and <laughs> sure. other So other luckily what it is, is each state has an advocacy group that at least tries to keep things centered and organized because back to, that's what you need more than anything is what at least one of those groups needs to be focused on the big picture. And usually that's somebody like Americans for Safe Access or one of these companies that are looking to try and get a bigger foothold in. And then, but it's, you need these people to have a centralized voice that they can go in because when council people and stuff start hearing from multiple different people and different ideas of how things should go, they just want to go, you know what, I'm going to wash my hands of this, step away and let somebody else deal with it. Whereas if there's at least one group and be like, listen, okay, we just need, you know, give us this many dispensaries, zone it by this situation, and then we'll just start from there. Then it gives them a jumping off point. But there are too many companies going in like, hey, I want to buy FAO Schwartz on 51st Street, uh, 57th Street and turn it into a giant mega dispensary. You know, or, and people are like, it scares them. You know, what they don't know scares them. And especially when they look at LA and the mess that we made here where we're still sitting on, you know, over a thousand 
uh, technical illegal dispensaries that don't pay taxes versus the highly taxed regulated market. It's, you know, we're, we're a mess. <laughs> here, you know, I mean, it's right. just so I tell advocates all over, just get with the group. Find, there's a local group there. You know, there, I'm sure there's like, you know, Manhattanites for safe access or something like that. <laughs> right. And they're grassroots and they play it to straight to the heart where they're going, making relationships. Right. You know, get I mean, involved. We, you have to be, you involved. know, pay attention and join right. join up and and abuse doesn't help when people go in there and they sit there and be like you suck you're this you're that they they tend to tune out <laughs> right 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 but but you know there's got to be a way to advocate for the the consumer for the patients for the growers absolutely um and that so that's really important um do you have any good uh old stories about uh young young danny <laughs> and you hanging out back in the day Ooh, that sounds interesting. Well, if you're like me and you want to know more about young Danko, including the name of his bong in these formative years, uh, join us over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Danny Danko, and you'll get the dirt on a young Danko as well as other outtakes from this interview um, and bonus content from episode 92 of Grow Bud Yourself. On that note, um, let people know how they can find out more about uh, your consulting, uh, just social medias and, and things like that. I like to always, I know it's trite, but I like to tell people to go to my Instagram page because it's just a history of cannabis in the LA. Like you'll see a lot of pictures of protests and city council meetings and fun things that go all the way back to um, 2006. So, uh, I am known as the, uh, <laughs> my first dispensary and my first apartment were on Pico Boulevard. So I would walk to work every day. And because there were no dispensaries, everybody was like, hey, you're that guy who owns the weed shop. And so I would talk to everybody. And then one day, uh, my partner was looking at me. He's like, you know, everybody in this neighborhood, you're like the Duke of Pico. And I'm like, oh, and it's the name stuck since then. So if you just go to Duke of Pico PR, as in public relations, so Duke of Pico PR, you could see my history on Instagram. But if you go to Duke of Pico, just straight up, that's my cultivation page, which just has like a bunch of pictures of old genetics. Like uh, it's got a picture of a GG4 I got that I uh, got a cut directly from drunkers or the kosher kush that I got directly from uh, DNA, you know, those guys. That was, that's one of my, here's a quick, quick grow story for you there. Sitting in the back of my shop with, with Don and Aaron from DNA, we're all smoking this joint and they're like, what do you think? I'm like, I like this. This is really nice. It's strong. Got a sativa high to it. They're like, we call it Jew gold. And I'm like, there is no way in hell I'm putting anything on my shelf called Jew gold. And it goes, <laughs> All right. How about kosher kush? And I was like, okay, I'll do kosher kush. <laughs> and I always wow. like to say, and that is the origin of that. <laughs> yeah, well, they dodged a bullet there. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, there's no way that we're doing that on our shelf. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I think that it won the cup the next year or, or two after that, because uh, I do remember that uh, they, they gave splash, me a couple yeah. cuts of it to grow a few times. I loved growing that strain. It was a, it was a, it was hard, but it was, it was beautiful to grow. Well, hey, we could talk for, for hours. Uh, I definitely would love to have you back on the show uh, sometime soon to uh, catch up Anytime. as well. 
I feel uh, thank like you. Uh, I've been waiting to get on your show for since the beginning. You know I love you, bro. So this is uh, this is a huge deal for me to be here, and I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. So and uh, thank you, Oliver. And we will be back after these messages. If you're ready to start your own home grow, you're going to need some seeds. Fortunately, our sponsor Rocket Seeds has you covered. You can find seeds for hundreds of high-quality cannabis varieties at rocketseeds.com, including many of our strains of the Fortnite. Rocket Seeds boasts an incredible inventory of quality-tested cannabis seeds. Whether you're looking for feminized, autoflowering, regular, CBD, or fast version seeds, Rocket Seeds has it all. Plus, Rocket Seeds ships internationally and discreetly and provides excellent customer service. And as a special promotion just for our listeners, you can use the code GBY10 to get 10% off your order at Rocket Seeds. So follow at Rocket Seeds on Instagram. Remember to tell them Danny sent you. And check out rocketseeds.com today and get growing. Hey, all right. Welcome back. And uh, yeah, thank you to Oliver Summers uh, for the interview. Been meaning to have him on for, for a long time. Uh, and he's an old friend. Uh, it's interesting, kind of the parallel lives we had in the uh, cannabis world and everything. It's it's uh, it's quite a unique story we got going back 30 plus years. That was one of those uh, interviews where it actually got more interesting when I stopped rolling. I should have kept going. All the good stories <laughs> came out as soon as I, I stopped recording. <laughs> That's true. That's true. We'll have to have him on again at some point uh, and get into some of that uh, that stuff as well. Because he's got a lot of insight um, into growing, into consumption lounges, into dispensaries. So uh, very enlightening. So thank you to Oliver. And a lot of uh, uh, insights now... into young Danko. Stuff. <laughs> That's true, too. Yeah. You know, like he knew me way, way before. You know, when I was just a fledgling young pothead, uh, you know, just getting interested in the plant and uh, what it could provide. Uh, we both evolved quite a ways since those days, but uh, very formative years as well. You know, just doing bong hits, shooting the shit and having some fun. Well, speaking of what the uh, plant can provide, um, what are you going to discuss for the grow tip this week? Yes. So this week we are going to talk about the dreaded, feared spider mite or or i should say spider mites because it's never just one uh they're always traveling together and we'll talk about that um typically the most popular is the two-spotted spider mite also tssm sometimes uh referred to uh so the first thing is to understand a little bit about spider mites and, and and what they are they're not really technically spiders they're mites um, they just happen to have eight legs when they're mature, um, although I think when they're born they have six, or the, or the first generation. Um, anyway, uh, they're vegetarians. They love to eat uh, our plants. They love to suck on the leaves. Uh, they live on the underside of the plants, and uh, if you allow them to uh, get an establishment uh, on your plants, they will then start uh, sucking the juice out of your plants and forming webs all over your plants uh, to protect their their kids and to create a, a, a basically a, a system for moving around to different parts of your plants and eating them uh, and killing them ultimately. Uh, so 
Uh, there's, you know, once you have them, it's really tough uh, to get rid of them. So, you know, the first thing, obviously, is to try to avoid getting them in the first place. Uh, adopt good sanitation practices for your plants and for anybody that happens to come into that room, whether it's uh, another person, a pet, um, any of the air that's filtered in. All it takes is one female spider mite uh, to come in on a clone uh, or or through uh, your filtration, through the air. Um, what happens is that one female uh, can basically produce female offspring. Well, she can hatch male offspring. She'll lay eggs that will be males. Um, once those offspring are sexually mature, they mate with their own mother. I know, it sounds weird, but they do. Uh, and then once they mate, the, the males mate with her, uh, then she can produce females as well. And uh, that's when the population explodes. So it doesn't take long. Uh, they like it hot uh, and they like it fairly dry. Uh, and they will reproduce very quickly. A lot of people like to say they're basically born pregnant. Uh, and that's basically the truth. So that is an issue. In the right conditions, they will reproduce very, very quickly. Uh, and you will have an infestation very quickly as well. So um, how do you spot them? Uh, they're very tiny. You definitely need uh, a loop for this. If you, you're just checking with the naked eye, you're going to see little white spots on the top of the leaves. Um, you flip those leaves over, and you should be able to see the little black dots uh, that are the mites. And then you might even see some eggs that have been laid there as well. Uh, you're going to know at that point if there's mature mites, there's going to be eggs and there's going to be immature mites uh, and various stages of growth. So uh, it really is a problem and all it takes is that one female. Uh, so it's really important to keep a very close eye uh, on your plants at all times, uh, especially if you have any kind of issues with spider mites in the past or if you're bringing in new clones. Um, the other way you can know for sure, I mean, the two-spotted one, if you look up close, you can see kind of the two spots on, on their back. Uh, that makes it pretty easy to identify. Uh, they look black uh, from on, on the naked eye, but when you really get in there, there's like red, green, tan kind of colorings on them. Um, and basically, usually most people will see the damage that they do before they see the actual mites. They'll see the, the white spots on the top of the leaves, um, just kind of like... Uh, white, tiny white spots, not looking like a like like powdery mildew, um, but literally like individual white spots, uh, and that sometimes people call that stippling. Uh, once that damage has has happened, the that's the leaves are gonna uh, not be great. You're gonna want, probably want to take off some some of the bigger fan leaves if the population keeps growing, and you start having webbing. You know you've got a really bad problem. So. Um, that's basically how to spot them. Uh, check your plants regularly. Check the undersides of the leaves regularly. And then uh, incorporate an IPM or an integrated pest management program. Uh, make sure to flip, flip over the leaves. Uh, some people will carry uh, like a white plastic board or even like a black plastic board or something and sort of uh, bang the leaves on above the board and, and, and see if anything kind of falls off the leaves. Um, easily recognizable on that all white or all black uh, plastic. Um, and then uh, just also be aware of the temperature and, and humidity level. Uh, if it's where they love it, uh, that's not so great. 
first thing, of course, prevention, uh, sanitation practices, try, uh, any clones that come in, make sure to quarantine them, treat them as though they have mites, even if they don't, uh, dip them if you need to, uh, in some type of a, um, insecticidal soap that's, uh, organic, uh, one of the things about some of the things that work best against mites is that they sometimes won't use the word mite or even pesticide on the labeling because the minute you start saying something is a pesticide, you, you, you uh, fall into a certain uh, level with the FDA and things. So sometimes these, these products will, call, will be called leaf shine uh, or some type of soaps that are oil-based, uh, and those work great at basically killing off the mites uh, um, and killing off the eggs. And so don't always, you know, you don't always have to look for something that's specific for spider mites. And if you go to the forums and stuff, you'll see um, uh, a lot of places where they'll tell you a certain product that isn't necessarily labeled that way. Our friend Donna, actually from uh, Patreon, uh, mentioned uh, that sh uh, she had a medium-sized spider mite problem and solved her problem uh, with a product, product called Mammoth Can Control. Uh, and the active ingredients there are corn oil and, and thyme oil. Um, so that's a pretty interesting alternative as well. Um, basically, the oil suffocates the plant, the, uh, the bugs, and uh, creates kind of a shell around the leaf, uh, killing off uh, several generations of the, of the bugs, maybe not necessarily the eggs. So you do have to reapply. Um, there's no real one kind of cookie cutter way that works. Uh, you just have to know what life stage your plants are in because, uh, this is an easier thing to handle. The younger the plants are and the more, the more in their vegetative stage they are. Uh, once a plant starts flowering, you really don't want to put, uh, these soaps on. Um, and then you want beneficial insects. There's predator mites that work on this. There's, uh, different types of nematodes. Um, but there's a pretty popular one. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this correctly, but it's Phytocelis uh, persimilis, and that's a predatory mite that's used on spider mites. Uh, so a mixture of insecticidal soap uh, followed by uh, predators uh, is definitely a helpful thing. And uh, be sure to just always be checking and making sure, uh, you know, what, where, what, how bad your problem is and what you need to do at that moment to fix it. Um, again, sprays are good, predatory mites are good, but you don't want to do them at the same time. You want to uh, stagger the release of these uh, different strategies that you're going to use. And uh, prevention always is the best. So take any uh, yellow leaves off your plants, keep them clean, and uh, stay vigilant because, like I said, these things reproduce quickly and uh, eat your plants very prodigiously. So. Uh, uh, the dreaded spider mite. I uh, hope you don't get it, but if you do, uh, definitely look into biological control and uh, organic uh, insecticidal pest soaps and fungicides. And even things that sometimes might be labeled as uh, uh, leaf shine or something like that. Uh, that might just be a company that they know their product is good for mites, but they don't want to go through the regulatory process of dealing with uh, you know, the FDA on making sure that, you know, this is specific uh, as an insecticide. Oh, spider mites, you edible bastards. <laughs> you know, because you said they reproduce with their mothers. That's true. Anyway, everybody, 
agrees. Fuck spider mites. So there you go. Indeed. All right. So that was the grow tip. We're now in the uh, question and answer portion of the show. And if you have a question you would like answered, uh, get in touch with us. The email is info at growbudyourself.com. What do you say we jump right in? Let's do it. Okay, great. Let's start off with Mark. And he says, hey, I love the show. I would appreciate your help dealing with a fungus that is killing my seedlings. Uh, Symptomatically, the seedlings are stunted as they emerge. They fail to thrive, grow tall and spindly, and then wilt and fall over about 10 to 14 days after germination. I've attempted to sanitize the room, but what I need is a fungicide that will nip damping off in the bud, so to speak, as complete sanitizing seems impossible. So what would you say here to Mark? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, this seems like a pretty big issue. If this happens with different seedlings and multiple runs, um, then you definitely have some type of a, a, of a fungus that's going on there. Um, I would try... Uh, obviously, you know, what you're doing is good. Sanitizing the room is, is good. Um, I would try treating, uh, everything with, uh, a fungicide. My favorite really these days, safer brand garden fungicide. Um, it's formulated with sulfur, uh, that helps to control damping off and fungal diseases, uh, that can really kill your plants quickly. Uh, so, you know, it's, it works on powdery mildew, black spot, rust, and leaf spot, uh, and all different, basically different things that can have uh, bad effects on your plants uh, if they're left untreated. And I think uh, if you try out uh, some some safer brand garden fungicide, uh, you will have better success with your seedlings. Make sure there's enough light for them. Uh, make sure that the environment is in, in the proper parameters, uh, and you should see your seedlings, your newer seedlings, grow properly. All right, there you go. Uh, Good luck to you, Mark. Let's go to Alan. And Alan writes, uh, Hey guys, what is the best hydroponic method for long-term growth for mother plants? Uh, That's an interesting question. I usually recommend for people uh, with mother plants to grow them in a soilless mix or cocoa uh, just because those mediums are more forgiving over long periods of time. And... um, Plants also grow a little slower in those mediums than in hydro, so uh, if you don't need clones all the time, you don't have this big, uh, huge tree uh, to trim constantly. Uh, and like the forgiving part is the most important. You just hand water it and uh, keep it alive under your you know, 18 to 20 hours or so of light. Uh, make sure it stays happy in the vegetative stage, and you should have a great mother plant with no issues. However... Um, if you do choose the hydroponic route for your mother plants, and I had a, a, a hydro plant uh, mom uh, for years. It was a Sensi Star, and I kept that in like a one of those GH buckets that they used to make. But uh, my recommendation would be to utilize deep water culture, uh, DWC technique. Uh, each plant gets a lot of space for the roots. Uh, it gets its own bucket. Uh, so your mother plant could be a standalone single bucket uh, with its own reservoir or even have the reservoir in the bottom of the bucket. Um, and that gives you, especially if it's a five gallon bucket or larger, a a lot of space for roots. And if you're going to have the mother plant for many years, uh, you really want to have a lot of roots, uh, and a nice big, strong root system so that it can generate a lot of clones. Um, most of the hydroponic systems out there, they're built to grow more than one plant, you know, deep water, uh, I'm sorry, uh, ebb and flow systems and, uh, 
you know, most of the systems that are there are for flowering plants for the most part. Uh, but DWC is one that can be used to grow uh, individual big plants with lots of branches and shoots uh, that you can take clones off for years. So um, the important thing is just change the nutrient solution every two weeks uh, and maintain that reservoir, uh, maintain the temperature of the, of the nutrient solution, uh, make sure it's not too warm or too cold, uh, the parts per million of nutrients in there and the pH as well, um, and oxygenate that water uh, in that reservoir and you'll have uh, healthy hydroponic mother plants. All right, there you go. Thank you, Alan. Let's go to Joey, and he writes, uh, Hey, Danny and Mike. Hope all is well. I'm looking to get some info on how to get an order from Excelsior Extracts. I looked into the Instagram page. I didn't see anything for placing orders. Uh, I have a buddy that is having really bad spinal issues, and I'd like to try to help him out without him having to go on painkillers. Really appreciate the info. So, uh, yeah, what would you say here to Joey? Yeah, um... Uh, in consulting with uh, our friends at Excelsior, uh, basically you just DM them on their Instagram uh, if, you, if you're interested in that uh, uh, pain relief rub that they have for your friend uh, or extracts uh, of, of, that, of any kind in, in Massachusetts in particular, I believe. Um, but yeah, I would say just DM them. They don't have uh, a website yet, uh, but I would DM their Instagram uh, at Excelsior Extracts and... Uh, and uh, good luck to you and, and your friend with the spinal issues. I hope, uh, I hope they can help them out. And be patient with them as well, because uh, our friend uh, Elaine from over there is also going through a lot. Uh, they've been on the show, Tommy and Elaine, and uh, um, she's been going through some very, very rough uh, health situations too. So be patient if you DM them and you don't hear right back. Uh, you know, it, give, them, give them a little time to respond. Yes, so we, uh, we do encourage everyone to check out our longtime sponsor and uh, friends, Excelsior Extracts. So uh, thank you, Joey, for inquiring. And uh, we are almost out of time, but let's do one more. And this is from uh, another old friend, Southern Motorway Grower. And he writes, uh, hello, thanks again for keeping us entertained across the pond. The gorilla outdoor season is nearly upon us, and I've been doing gorilla growing for nearly 10 years with good success. However, every year I have the same problem, the dreaded bud rot. Unfortunately, living in Europe, in the northern hemisphere, come September and October, the climate becomes damp and rainy. The gorilla plants are constantly against the elements, but I still manage to get two-thirds over the line and into jars. In recent years, I've tended to add more autoflowers to my grows so I could harvest before the bad weather arrives. However, I recently heard that adding propolix fungicide as a liquid feed can help reduce bud rot. Is this true, or do you have any other suggestions to stop the dreaded bud rot in gorilla grow operations? Uh, thanks again. So, so what would you say here to SMG? Yes, uh, thank you for your questions and your support uh, for the show. Um, yeah, I mean, bud rot is an issue, and a lot of places have this issue. September, October, November just gets really damp and rainy, and it's very hard to avoid. And if plants are outside uh, in a place you can't get to them and, and, and shake them off every morning, uh, which does help, you know, if you can get there, uh, especially after, you know, a, a wet, uh, damp evening, if you can get there and, and shake off some of the, the dew or the moisture that's collected on the plant early, uh, it won't have as much of that bud rot that sets in. Uh, growing autos is a great thing, uh, especially if you plant them a little earlier uh, and you harvest uh, in 
you know, July or August instead of September, October, you can definitely uh, beat the season there. Uh, there's fast flowering seeds as well that aren't quite autos, uh, but just have a very short flowering time that you can, you can do uh, as well. If there's any way that you can cover the plants at night, I know it's tough with gorilla plants, um, but if they can be covered up overnight and then uncovered, uh, that's great. If you can put like a, some type of a temporary greenhouse structure out there with your, with your plants, that can be very helpful to keep them from getting wet, uh, you know, and having that moisture really sink in. Uh, as far as adding pro propolis fungicide as a liquid feed, I have not heard of that, uh, to, to reduce bud rot. Um, but I'll certainly inquire with, uh, some of my friends in NorCal and, and other places where that could be an issue. Uh, even New England here where, where we are, uh, or North of here, uh, it's the same problem. You know, it's just, uh, the climate in the fall is, is, is not conducive, uh, and anything you can do to either harvest early, uh, or just keep that moisture from getting into your, uh, forming flowers, uh, full sunshine helps obviously you know if they're not if they're in the shade part part of the time that also can encourage uh mold and bud rot so uh yeah i mean it's tough but uh you you've come up with some good solutions and i think uh incorporating more autos uh trying to harvest sooner and uh really just shaking off the plants and, and making sure that the moisture doesn't really set in uh, can be very helpful and there's certain strains you can find that that are more resistant to it as well uh, so that's another thing as well all right there you go thank you smg thank you to everybody who wrote in this week uh, if you have a question you would like answered on the show get in touch with us you could email us that is info at growbudyourself.com uh, what do you say we take a little break come back and wrap this one up let's do it Hey, all right. Welcome back. And thank you for listening to episode 92 of Grow Bud Yourself. I want to thank DJ Jacques and Winstrong, uh, Oliver Summers from Superior Herbal Health. Um, be sure to check him out on social media, um, especially if you're interested in, uh, in getting into the cannabis uh, retail spaces and things like that, or even uh, consumption lounges. He's got a lot uh, of information about that stuff. I want to thank Rocket Seeds, our sponsor. Uh, for the past year, uh, the code there is GBY10 for 10% off of all the different seeds that they sell. Um, please, if you're going to order seeds from them, use that code. Uh, you can also just go to rocketseeds.com slash GBY10. Uh, I think you'll get the code that way too. But when you're checking out, just put GBY10. You get automatic 10% off uh, of all your seed orders from Rocket. Uh, Sweet Leaf Plant Nutrients also uh, a great sponsor that we've had for a long time. The code there is Danko15 for 15% off. And then there's even more. Uh, you can get codes for 20 and up to 25% off uh, by signing up to our Patreon page. Uh, Excelsior Extracts, their THC-infused pain relief rub. Check them out on Instagram. Uh, and join up on Patreon. We really would love to get uh, up over 100 patrons there if we could. Uh, that would be a great thing for uh, 420 it's only $4.20 a month at the lowest level, and you get a bunch of free stuff uh, and the, the knowledge of supporting the show, uh, which we truly appreciate and uh, couldn't do it without you guys. So thank you for your support. 
Um, thanks to the YouTube uh, subscribers. Thank you to everyone on all the different, you know, Apple, uh, Stitcher, even Spotify. We, we still love you guys too. <laughs> so uh, thanks, and I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, we will be back next week with episode 93. So why don't we uh, call this one a ball game and put it in the books? <laughs> <laughs>